Next Level Church, welcome everybody to part three of our Home Run series. Man, welcome. We're just pumped that you are here, and we love this idea of talking about living a home run life in our life and our leadership. How does our life look when we're living a home run life? Now, of course, you'll probably notice this weekend that I am wearing my Tampa Bay Rays jersey, which is my favorite team. What up? Okay, but this jersey is actually really, really special to me, and here's the reason why, because this is no ordinary jersey. Four years ago, uh, in 2011, our church moved from the high school into what is now known as our plantation campus. And uh, that year when we left the high school, we were averaging about 950 people in weekly weekend attendance. Uh, and so over the course of the next year, our church grew like crazy. And so the next year, the following year, Outreach Magazine, which is kind of a, a church magazine, listed us as the ninth fastest growing church in America with 99% growth year over year from one March to the next March, okay? So we were the ninth fastest growing church in America. Well, to celebrate that, our staff at the time got together and they said, what can we do for Pastor Matt? We know he loves baseball. What can we do? Well, they got me this jersey, okay? But check it out. Look what they did. Bam! I know. How fun is that? Number nine. Get it? Next level. Number nine. Ninth fast. We were number nine. See what they did there? They're brilliant. I'm telling you. But you guys, we are having so much fun in this Home Run series. And, and we started this series a couple weeks ago with Pastor Kevin Myers, who wrote the book Home Run, which is available in the foyer uh, at both of our campuses this weekend. We, uh, he was here with us, and he laid out the idea that in life, it's a lot like running the bases of, of a baseball diamond. And he talked about how home plate represents winning dependence on God, that it is about our relationship with God. Then first base is all about winning within, winning our integrity, our character. Second base then is the community base. It's about winning with others. And then finally is third base, which is winning results, that which is our competence, our, our, what we produce, success in our life. And how only when you run the bases in that order with God first, then dealing with yourself on the inside, your heart, others, and then success, only then can you live the home run life. So we've been breaking that down. We've been talking about that. And what we discovered is most people in our world today run to third base, success, and then they turn right around and run home and want to call that a home run. That they focus on success, they make their life all about running to the base of success, but then they just run home and they want to call that a home run. They think that they're winning, but in reality, what running to third base and then back to home is called is an out. And so what we're discovering is that running the bases in the right order matters a lot. And when we do that, we live under the favor of God. And so that's what we've been talking about. Last weekend then in part two, we talked about home plate. We talked about how we win in our relationship with Jesus Christ, how we win dependence on God. Well, this weekend in all of our services, at both of our campuses, we're going to be talking about winning within, how we win within, how we win this idea of integrity and character in our life. What does it take for us to become everything God wants for us to become in our life as a person? How do we reach our full potential in Christ? Well, in order for us to be able to do that, we have to examine what we believe to be true about ourselves. And not just what we believe to be true about ourselves, but we have to examine what we believe to be true about who God says we are. Who does God say we are? And see, here's the thing. 
Our world has a version of who they want us to believe God says we are. That if there's a supreme being, if there's a God, they would say, then they have some opinions on what they're trying to get people on this earth to believe about this superior, supreme being, this, this God out there. But those, what we're about to discover is those opinions, the version that the world wants us to believe is the exact opposite of the version of what God wants us to believe. So what is that? What, how does God see us? What is it that God believes to be true about us? What does God say about us? If we're ever going to win within, then we ought to know that. We ought to be able to ask and answer that question. What does God say we are? Who does God say we are? How does God see us? Well, in order for us to answer that, we have to look in the letter that God gave us. And we know that as the Bible. That around here at Next Level Church, we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. And inside the pages of this book, it tells us, it clues us in to who God says we are. So here's what I want to do. For the, for the next few minutes in all of our services, I want to talk about five things that God says we are, five truths about how God sees us. When you came into whatever service you're in this weekend, you were handed a bulletin. Inside of that, there's a slip of paper with some fill-in-the-blanks that'll give you the ability to follow along over the next few minutes with these five truths about how God sees us. Here's the first one. Number one, how does God see us? Well, according to the Bible, we are a friend of God. The Bible says that we are a friend of of God. Now, this is completely opposite of what the world wants us to believe. See, the world wants us to believe that God, this big, gigantic, supreme being, is out to get us. That's what the world wants us to believe, that, that God is a great, big, mean, horrible, angry God with a giant fly swatter who's just waiting for us to step out of line, and the minute we do, whack him, he smashes us to pieces. That's what the world wants us to believe. They want us to believe that God is just this big, huge, angry being. But when we study scripture, the Bible, we discover that that's not true. Matter of fact, Jesus himself said this in John chapter 15. Look at it, verse 12. He said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And he's speaking prophetically about himself. He's basically saying, I'm going to lay down my life for you, my friends. Look, and then he goes on. You are my friends if you do what I command. Verse 15. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, look at this. I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. No, no, no. You didn't choose me. I chose you, Jesus said, and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. What's happening here? Jesus is telling his disciples and all of us as well who are in relationship with him that, listen, you're no longer outsiders. You're actually insiders. I consider you Friends, he says, listen, I'm pulling you close. There's a whole bunch of people around. I'm pulling you close. You are a friend of God. In other words, he's treating us like insiders. How amazing is that? What if it's true? What if it's true, Next Level Church, that we are actually friends of God, that we are insiders? Isn't it fun to be an insider? Can you remember the last time in your life someone gave you insider-type access? <clears throat> I can. A few years ago, 
I was at a conference up in Orlando for pastors and church planners. There was about 5,000 people at this conference. And Rick Warren, who, who pastors Saddleback Church, wrote the book Purpose Driven Life. Time Magazine rated him as one of the 50 most influential people in the world. Okay, well, he was speaking one morning at a, at a breakfast thing. And so I got up early and went over to the conference, and there were probably close to 1,000 people in this room where he was doing a devotional for breakfast. And so I was seated, gosh, probably 80 or 100, 80 or 100 feet back from the, at a table back from the stage. And so Rick was teaching, you know, the whole deal. And so when he got done, I was just kind of standing there, and, and the guy that was traveling with him, kind of his right-hand man, his name is David, he was down in front of the stage, and David looks out, and he sees me, and he goes... And I'm like, you talking to me? And, and he's like, come here, come here. And so I like make my way through the crowd. And Rick's at the front of the stage, you know, and he's hugging people. And he's taking pictures of people. And so David comes up and he goes, Matt Keller, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, Rick and I were talking about you on the plane out here. What? He goes, Rick wants to hang out with you. Hang on. Okay. So I texted my wife who was at the hotel. I'm like, baby, you're going to have to find a new way to the conference. I'm hanging out with Rick Warren. So Rick goes off the stage a few minutes later, you know, goes down on the side. And David's like, come on, come on. And so I'm like, next thing I know, I'm like backstage in this room, just like hanging. And so I walk up and Rick's like, Matt, good to see you. Gives me this great big bear hug. He's like, man, we were talking about you on the plane and all you're doing with coaching pastors and helping people. Man, hang out with us. Okay. <laughs> so guys, for the next two hours, I'm just like hanging out backstage insider access with Rick Warren. He's eating breakfast. I'm just sitting there. He's like, tell me what's going on. Tell me about your church. And we're just talking. At one point, these, this uh, guy from the conference came in and he's like, Rick, we need you. We're in our video thing. We're going to do an online interview. And Rick Warren goes, hey, no, no, listen, I don't want you to interview me. The only way I'm doing that is if you'll let me interview Matt Keller. And I'm like, what is happening right now? So we go, we walk across, you know, and people are like walking up to him and he's handing me their phone. He's like, here, take our picture. And I'm, I'm the photographer, you know, taking all these pictures. We get across, we do this whole, Rick Warren interviews me for like 20 minutes online, like this thing. So we get done and I'm like saying goodbye to him, you know, and so he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a card and he writes his personal cell phone number on it. He goes, here, this is my personal cell phone number. Call me if you need anything. Then he says, and if you ever give this to anyone else, I will kill you. <laughs> True story. Okay, listen. When Rick Warren threatens you with your life, your friends. <laughs> boom. You guys, how cool is that? Okay, listen. That, that's cool. But you know what's even cooler? When God says, hey, here's my cell phone. Hey, come with me. Let's hang out. Come on, let's be friends. You guys, according to the Bible, Jesus makes it clear we're no longer servants. No, we're not just on the outside looking in with this thing. The God of the universe calls us friends. That's amazing. Have you ever thought about that? See, if we're going to win within, then we have to let that belief that we are a friend of God get down deep into the core of who we are. Here's the second one. Number two, we, according to the Bible, are sons and daughters of God. 
According to the Bible, we are sons and daughters of God. Now, the world wants us to believe that God is, 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 uh, is distant, that God is far off, that God is aloof from our everyday personal lives. That's what the world wants us to believe, that God is just some far off being who couldn't care less about what's happening in our personal life. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible actually says that you and I are sons and daughters of God, that we are children of God. Look at this. 1 John chapter 3 says this, how great is the love. The Father, God the Father, has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Dear friends, now we are children of God. Listen, when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, when we come into relationship with him, he says that we become his children, that God is not some far off, distant, aloof God who, who couldn't care less about our lives. No, no, no. The God we serve is a God who not just, not only calls us friends, but calls us sons and daughters of God. And listen, let me talk to every parent who's listening right now. One of our services, okay? Every parent, listen, you know it's true, don't you? That there is something, a bond that is, that is an intimacy, an access that happens when we have children. I mean, every one of us who have ever raised children know that our kids have access to us and know us like nobody else, right? Like, like for example, I have two boys, Will and Drew, 14, and Drew's almost 12. And they, they know me better than anyone. Like, they have access to me like no one else does. For example, my office. Like, uh, my office is not somewhere that people go all, all the time. Like, it's, it's kind of a private deal, which works well for me, and I can get stuff done, okay? It's cool. And, and matter of fact, when people actually go in there, they're like, wow. And then they give you that look like, sort of feels like the principal's office in here. I know, I'm not sure there's much I can do with that. Okay, well, every once in a while, my boys will be hanging out at, at, our, at our offices. And um, I'll, I'll be off doing something in a meeting or whatever, and I'll come back in like they've come from school or something. And when I walk into my office, my, one of my boys or both of them will be sitting in there with their shoes off, feet up, playing video games on their iPad or something, drinking a Coke. Well, guess what? That's awesome. They can do that. You know why? Because they're sons. They're my sons. Because what they, can, they can do, they have access to what nobody else has access to. Why? Because they're my kids. And the same is true with us and God. Think of it. Think of that. that what if it's true that we truly are sons and daughters of God? And that we have access to our loving, gracious, heavenly Father because we are his sons and his daughters. Now, here's what I think. I think some of us have come in this weekend, and growing up, we didn't have a good mother or father figure. We, maybe, maybe we were abused as a child. Maybe we were abandoned. Maybe circumstances were such that, that, that our parental figure or figures were not good ones. And listen, if that's you, can I just, can I caution you for a moment? It's easy for us, it's natural for us as humans to, to view our heavenly father 
through the lens that was given to us, for better or worse, from our earthly parents. And so listen, here's what I believe. I believe that this weekend, some of us have come into one of our services and you have had a tainted view of your heavenly father because of an earthly father or mother or authority figure of some kind. And here's what I believe. I believe that this weekend, right now, right where you're seated, God wants to begin to change that belief in who you are. You know how you win within? You know how you have a home run life? When you start to view our God, not as some uh, far off, aloof, couldn't care less type of being. No, no, no. We win within. We live the home run life when we start to begin to see our heavenly father as just that, a gracious and loving heavenly father, which is what he is. And I believe God wants to start to change that belief down inside of so many of us this weekend. He says, you are sons and daughters of God. Yes, that is what we are. How great is that? How do we win within? We win within by changing and understanding who God says we are that's different than the world. Here's the third one, number three. According to the Bible, we are more than conquerors. According to the Bible, we are more than conquerors. See, the world wants us to walk around every day defeated. The world wants us to believe that we are weak. The world wants us to just survive. The enemy of our souls wants to keep us heavy and oppressed and beaten down. But the Bible says that we're actually more than conquerors. Romans chapter 8, I love this. Verse 31, the apostle Paul is writing and he says this. What then shall we say in response to this? Look at this. And he's talking about, uh, previous to this, he's, he's laid out all of these difficulties and struggles that he's been going through in this spiritual battle and just the, this, this heaviness. He says, what's our response to all of this bad stuff going on? Here's our response. Look, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then he goes on in verse 35, look, he says, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or, or, or famine, shall, shall nakedness or danger or sword, can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, no, he says, in all these things persecution, trouble, hardship, nakedness, the sword, all these things. Here it is. We are more than conquerors through him, not through ourselves, not through our own strength, through him who loved us. He says we are more than conquerors. Listen, when we talk about winning within, we have to grasp the fact that God says that he plus we are a majority I'm about to rap. <laughs> Come on, don't miss that. He plus we are a majority. We've got this. Listen, and I know it's easy to get bombarded. It's easy to, to let the day in and day out stuff of life just sap our energy and sap our strength. But God wants us to know that we are more than conquerors in him. Oftentimes I will teach leaders, pastors and others, and, and even our staff at our church, I'll teach them. That when we come to Christ, when we say yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us. And in, in an essence, it's as if there is a, like, a, like a hidden secret aquifer, like a, like, a, like a river that lives beneath the surface of our lives. And it is the river of the Holy Spirit that is always flowing beneath the surface of our lives. 
And here's the deal. When we come to Christ, when we are sons and daughters of God, it gives us the ability to drill down into that river of the Holy Spirit. So at any moment, any time, no matter what's happening on the surface of our life, if there are storms, if there's wind, if there's craziness going on, we have the ability to drill down and tap into that river of the Holy Spirit and say, listen, no matter what may happen on the surface, no matter what's going on up here, I know that there is a God who is strengthening me and fueling me to make me more than conquerors. And for some of you, that's your homework this weekend. You need to start practicing, learning how in your daily, everyday, ordinary life to start Start drilling down and tapping in to the power of the Holy Spirit that is available in your life so that you can live not as a defeated one or a weak one, but as an overcomer, that we are more than conquerors. And some of us, that's for you, man. You got to start drilling down, tapping in. Why? Because that's who God says you are. We're more than conquerors. That is such good preaching. Number four, number four, how do we win within? We win within by understanding and believing at a heart level, at a foundational core level that the Bible says that we are made on purpose. That we are made on purpose. See, the world wants us to believe that the only purpose in our life is temporary personal pleasure or self-gain or self-promotion. See, we live in a world that wants us to believe that, that this life is all there is. And so, so get all you can while you can because you can. If it feels good, do it. If it's in the moment, then go for it. Temporary personal pleasure and self-gain, that that is the purpose of life. That's, that's the best life has to offer. But according to the Bible, that's not true. Look at this. Psalm chapter 139 says this, verse 13. For you, speaking to God, created my inmost being. The psalmist writes, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. Wow. Think of what he's saying. He's saying that our life has purpose. Our life has meaning that all the days of our lives have been laid out for us. Before the creation of the world, before we ever lived one of them, God laid out the purpose, a higher purpose for our lives. And winning within means understanding and discovering our purpose. Every life was created by God with meaning and purpose for a reason. And listen, for some of you this weekend, God wants you to know that your life is meant for a higher purpose. What purpose are you living your life for? Is it just the purpose of a one-night stand? Is it just the purpose of Feeling good on the weekend? Is it just, just for momentary, temporary pleasures and stuff of life? Is it just for selfish gain, self-promotion? I would say to you, listen, come up higher. God has something higher for you. Lean into him. Embrace a higher purpose for your life. God wants you to know this weekend that you were meant for so much more than that stuff that the world's trying to sell you. Come up higher. Live your life 
for a higher purpose. It's worth it. How do we live a home run life? We live a home run life by understanding that God made us on purpose. And finally, number five, we live a home run life by embracing the fact that we're a part of something so much bigger than we realize. We're a part of something so much bigger than we realize. See, the world we live in wants us to, to believe that this life is all there is, that it's a one and done, that you live this life and then you die, and that's it. The world, the world we live in wants us to believe that we are the center of the universe, that we're the center of our universe. The world that we live in wants us to believe that, that everything in our life is supposed to revolve around us and that it begins and ends with us, but that's not true. The Bible says that you and I are a part of something bigger, and that something bigger we're a part of is called the body of Christ. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now, you, speaking to us, are a part of the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You are a part of the body of Christ. Each one. Come on, let that sink in. Each one of you are a part of it. What if that's true? See, God created the local church to be a force that Jesus said nothing on planet earth would be able to stop. Think of that. And when we come into relationship with him, he says that we're a part of that. That we're a part of the local church. We're, we're a part of the big C church. And listen, can I just say this? That what, what's happening here at Next Level Church in Southwest Florida is a part of the big C church, universal, that's happening across the globe. So when, when we participate, when we serve, when we give of, of our time, our talent, our treasure, when, when we get out of the stands and get on the field, when we greet, when we usher, when we lead connection groups, when we work in Velocity, our middle school environments, when we serve in our kids' ministries, when we, when we work in production behind the scenes or, or sing on a worship team, listen, whatever role we play in the local church that we call Next Level, we are a part of a movement that is impacting and changing lives, not only here in Southwest Florida, but across the U.S. and literally to the four corners of the earth. Listen, Next Level Church, let me tell you something. When you pray, when you serve, when you give, when you participate in what God's doing here at NLC, you're making a difference on every continent of the world. Well, except Antarctica. We're not there yet. But... But if you're watching online in Antarctica, dude, email me. That is so cool. I mean cold. For real, though. Hook it up. Let me know because that's awesome. Wouldn't that be fun? Guys, we're a part of something so much bigger. He said you're a part of the body of Christ. Each one of you has a role to play. Each one of you has a part to play in life change. See, 
The return on investment for us in church, the ROI, if you will, some of you who are a part of financial things, you understand what I mean by that. Listen, you know what the ROI is for us in, in church world? The ROI for us is souls. It's life change. It's, it's people being changed. And when I think about all that God has done, man, in the last couple of months, just since the, since the turn of the year, just even in the last year, think of it. When we think about the thousands and thousands of lives that have been impacted and what God wants to do in the coming weeks with feeding Fort Myers, with, with Easter coming up and 11 services, like life change. It's life change. And when you're a part of Next Level Church, you are a part of life change. So here's the question. Who are you? What do you believe about yourself? And here's what I think. I think it's possible that some of us have come into one of our weekend services this weekend at Gateway or Plantation or online, and you've never stepped across that line of faith. You've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, here's, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that you and I are, are sinners, that, that we're imperfect people. And because of that sin, we're separated from God. That's why Jesus came, to bridge that gap, to pay the price for, for the sin in our lives that we couldn't pay ourselves. And the Bible says that if we will simply acknowledge that we're sinners and then believe that what Jesus did when he died on the cross for us and shed his blood was payment for our sin and then be willing to confess that, the Bible says that you and I can be forgiven of our sin and that that's the thing that moves us into relationship with God. In other words, that's how we become sons and daughters of God. Well, here's what I think. I think that some of us have come into our one of our services this weekend and you don't know that. Well, I want to give you an opportunity to cross that line of faith. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask our campus pastors to come up in all of our services. And then I'm going to ask us to simply bow our heads. So whatever service you're in right now, just for the, for the privacy of this moment, I'm going to invite you to just bow your head. And I want to ask you a question. If you've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can do that right now. Right now. Right today, seated right in the service you're in. If you've never said yes, but you want to, it's as simple as acknowledging that you're a sinner, believing that Jesus died on the cross and paid the price for your sin and then simply confessing that. And the way we're going to confess that in just a moment is I'm going to ask you to simply raise your hand. And we're not going to call you down front or do anything spooky, kooky, or weird. That's not our style. But I just want to give you a chance to just slip your hand up and nobody's looking around and nobody's talking. This is just between me and you and your campus pastor so that you can make a simple confession of faith and invite Jesus to come into your heart. So if that's you, would you just slip your hand up right now? Come on, all of our services. One, two, three. Thank you. Awesome. Fantastic. Fantastic. Every service. I know what's happening. Every service. You just slip your hand up. You, once you put it up, you can put it back down. That's great. Father, thank you that right now you see these hands that are being raised all across our, our, our campuses. And so Jesus, I, we just, I just pray on behalf of them who have lifted their hand, who have, who have said an outward expression of confession that we're sinners. And God, we ask you to forgive us Lord, we believe that what you did on the cross was payment for our sin, and we invite you to come in. Lord, thank you that your word, the Bible says that when we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us, to wash us clean, to make us into a new creation, and to put us into the family of God. So God, we're no longer out there doing our own thing, but because of this decision we're making right now in this moment, we are included in the family of God. So God, we invite you to come in. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Make us a new creation in you. And we thank you for it. And Jesus, staying in this atmosphere of prayer, Lord, I just pray for each one of us 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to begin to win within. God, I pray you would help us to begin to change our beliefs. God, I pray for people right now who have struggled with one of these beliefs to truly believe that they're an insider, a friend of God, to to truly see themselves as a son and daughter of God and to see you as a loving Heavenly Father. I pray right now in this moment you'd begin to change our beliefs, God. Jesus, I pray that you would give us strength to tap into your river of the Holy Spirit that flows beneath our lives. Jesus, thank you that you've called us and made us more than conquerors. God, thank you that each one of us were made with a purpose and that each one of us have been included into the family of God. And so, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would help us to keep living a home-run life by winning within. God, I pray blessing on each and every person in all of our services. I pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone who agreed said,